everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Pink Bike Podcast. I'm Mike Levy, and we're talking about a bit of a contentious subject today that's certainly been getting people riled up. Headset cable routing. Now, legend has it that if you say headset cable routing three times while looking into a mirror, the Scott Patreon e-bike appears, and you only have four hours to reroute its dropper post before it strangles you with one of its 17 hidden cables, Casimir. Have you ever heard that urban legend, Kaz? No, that's a new one to me. I'll go give it a try and see what happens. Yeah, I actually I actually just made it up, to be honest with you. Um, I thought what happens is that uh, if you say it three times, Henry Quinney ar- arrives and starts telling you about how great internal cable routing is. And speaking of... <laughs> <laughs> Henry, where in the world are you right now? Currently, I'm um, just in a little town in Chile, enjoying some nice weather and some bicycle riding, and yeah, it's having having quite a nice time. Spreading the gospel now, of internal cable routing. Yeah, pretty much on the street, <laughs> He's a missionary. on the street with a Fisher with a Fisher Price like microphone. And <laughs> is is that why you got deported from Argentina? They don't want any of that shit oh, there, mate, so they kicked no, you out. I. <laughs> Right, so I went for a ride in Chile last week. So I was living just over the border in Argentina. And um, due to some complicated rules to do with the van ownership and nationality, they um, let us through and they said, oh, and by the way, you can't come back in. And we were like, what? They're like, oh, no, you're out. You're out the country now. Unless you, you don't have to come back in that vehicle, basically. So we had a day to sell our van or we were just like, fuck it, we'll live in Chile now. So we went across to the next, the Chilean place, like the um, the customs bit. And they said, um, we were traveling with a dog and they're like, and the, um, the dog paper to say that you just took the dog out of Argentina. And we were like, they didn't give us anything. They're like, right, well, it's either three and a half thousand US dollar fine or we shoot the dog. And we were like, well, (laughs) anyway, (laughs) so then, so then we ended up, they were really nice. I mean, say nice. They were to be fair, really nice. The the rules are the rules, but they let us take the dog through the border. And, um, yeah, so I, I moved to Chile with a spare pair of pants, which sounds bad, but, if you saw, I'm such like a hopeless case. If you saw the state of my underwear, actually like having two sets of intact pack, pants is like two thirds of the actual good supply of underwear. The rest are basically just rags. And yeah, started afresh in Chile. Are are they the pock pants by any chance? Because maybe that's why they also deported you too. It could have been a factor. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, deported is a big word. Basically, I'd have had a day to sell the car and I just couldn't be bothered the hassle. And it was a cool opportunity to live somewhere new and try something new and then via a whole host of whatsapp contacts we met a very nice argentinian man who let us pay him a small fortune to bring our stuff over and and we're good henry sometimes i feel like i live an interesting life and then i talk to you and i'm like no i'm pretty boring to be honest i don't know i mean i i I find my i think my life is very dull in a i know i might live in some different places but really i just keep my head down and play age of empires and (laughs) That's it, really. Like that's my life. <laughs> come, Moved on. I come Candy to Patagonia. Anyway. <laughs> I I come to Patagonia and I play some Lord of the Rings real time strategy. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, speaking of strangling, it looks like we've got a lot of pinkers lately who want to strangle some brands and engineers that are designing and selling all these new bikes that use headset cable routing. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of comments I'm seeing uh, saying they want nothing to do with the complication and the headache that comes along with it. 
So today, we're going to talk about why bike companies are using headset routing, regardless of what you say or think, and also explain the downsides of it. We're also going to talk about some of the pros and what we need to change to maybe get more consumers on board with the idea of running cables through their bike's headset. And to do that, everybody, I'm going to argue... In favor of headset cable oh, routing. Believe me, oh no! Believe me, you don't have to play devil's yeah. advocate. I genuinely will. I, I, I am in favor. I'll, I'll pick up the slack. Don't you worry. Well, I, I think that it can be good. To be honest with you, like I think that it could be made worthwhile, and it could be made a lot better than it is. A lot better than it currently is. So, can we? Re- is it too late to rename this podcast? The Pink Bike Podcast alienates its entire community. <laughs> you're alienating me like too I don't like head, yeah yeah i don't like headset cable routing no matter what so i'm gonna be on that side <laughs> so the ba- the battle lines are drawn we definitely we're gonna talk through this podcast and we're gonna decide right now in this podcast what all brands should do no exceptions one size fits us and that's going to be the end of it we'll never talk about it again well i think yeah. any any argument about cable routing is predicated on there's a really important thing in this hypothetical situation, so you've got your bike, do you have a work stand? Because if you don't have a work stand, internal cable routing through the headset is awful. Awful. I mean, imagine trying to take your fork out and you've got your frame, frame falling over the place. With a work stand, it's not so bad. But I think you've got, it's, you know, there's a very a big split there, right? We'll get there. We'll get there. That's a good argument, though. That's a, that is a super good point. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask you guys about an innovation or standard that made sense to you, but didn't stick around long enough to pan out. Because that's how I I do kind of feel that way about headset routing. I think if it was done right, if it was done correctly, it could stick around, but I don't think it's it's going to. So Kaz, starting with you, is it still all-wheel drive bikes and off-road tandems that were the innovations that you are into? I was going to go with rapid rise rear derailleurs. I wasn't really that, that is into, actually it made mine, sense. to be honest with you. I knew it was going to, yeah, like it made sense. I didn't never thought it was the way to do it, but I got what they were going for. Even the dual control levers mm-hmm. too. Like uh, they're like, oh, it makes yeah. sense. And then you try it and you're like, ah, not quite, but I understand. I understood what was happening then. So people that don't know rapid rise rear derailleurs, their natural resting point would be at your easiest gear rather than your, your hardest gear, like all derailleurs currently are. Um, and they had reasons for it and some extra pulleys and things. And yeah. I'll say rapid rise made rapid rise made way more sense than dual control for sure. Like dual control was wild. It was so bad. It was so bad. But like being able to default in an emergency, like, Oh shit, I just found this, hit this short punchy climb and it defaulting to your easiest gear. You rarely panic shift into a harder gear. You often panic shift into an easier gear. It made sense. It was just hard for people to get their head around. Yeah. It was backwards of what everyone had been used to. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah, I, I would agree. I actually have some XTR dual control here. Set it up, put it on the yeah. put it on the Brody. Yeah, well I wanted to make a video with it, but I haven't well I haven't done it yet, obviously. So what about you, Henry? Is it rapid rise or what else? Uh I think that's a, that's such a hard question. I, I off the top of my head, I think and I spoke about it before, but maybe for a lot of people's riding the almost mandatory big enduro fork i don't think it's always right for you know 160 mil travel bike you don't in my opinion a lot of the time like a lyric is maybe more versatile than something like a zebra 36 and a 38 um but apart from that 
I don't know. To be honest, I, I think bikes are pretty good right now. I'm, I'm surprised to see more of this immediate generation of bikes. I haven't been quicker to take up SWAT. Like, you know, I think um, Trek were keen, but then they realised that their anagram was going to begin with a T, but have the rest of the same letters. So they had to back off it. But apart from that, I um, I don't know why more more bikes aren't aren't doing that. You're not going to say e-bikes then, e-bike motors and stuff, Henry? No, I mean, e-bikes, listen, e-bike, I'm really comfortable now that e-bikes aren't for me. I've I've actually softened on it in just in that I'm happy for them to exist, but then I'll just, I will just go to great pains to never, ever talk or associate with those people. And that's just how it is. (laughs) (laughs) That's just an open, nice, open-minded thing. That's so open-minded. Good job. (laughs) Are you ready for winter? Okay, to be honest, I'm not ready either, but there are a few things that I'm excited about. Getting out skiing with my family, sitting by the wood stove with a good read, oh, and the fact that Outside Plus is 40% off. It's the best way to bundle up for the season ahead. The sale ends November 28th, so don't miss out. Your subscription includes Gaia GPS Premium and Trailforks Pro plus unlimited digital content access across the outside network. You also get access to more than 600 hours of adventure films and TV series and our library of expert-led online courses. Map, read, watch, learn. It's the one subscription to fuel all your adventure needs, and you get 40% off until November 28th. Find out more about Outside Plus and get this deal at outsideonline.com slash pod plus. Brian, before we move on, what's the innovation that you would like to see more embraced than it currently is? I'm going to get shit for this. I like the concept of center lock. I'm going to turn your mic off. <laughs> None of my bikes <laughs> have center lock. Um, but I can see how it's very useful and helpful for people and mechanics especially like protein mechanics, just doing things quick. To be fair, I would, if I was working like for a race team, which obviously, I mean, it's certainly such a small percentage of people that do, but center lock is nice, except you can't bolt check it, which is annoying. Yeah. You can put a torque, there's ways to put a torque. Oh no, you it. can do it. You can do it with the wheel out of the bike, but you can't do it mm. as, as a quick thing before a run, which is just a source yeah. of anxiety. Fair. What's up with that rocking on with center lock rotors on the splines you i'm sure you guys okay. have all felt oh, that mike 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 we're getting yeah. dangerously close to criticizing shimano move this conversation <laughs> on i will not hear it like it's great <laughs> it works it's easy to change and the, to be fair <laughs> no i'm not even gonna <laughs> well the rocking the rocking in the center lock cancels out the rocking in the brake pads it's two i was for gonna one. say <laughs> i was gonna say <laughs> if it didn't if it didn't move like that, I would be a big fan of it. But every center lock system I've ever used, I think, has had a bit of like play between the rotor mount and the hub shell, the splines and the hub shell, which is sort of unacceptable in my mind. But I don't know. Maybe I'm being too picky. As I said, I like the concept of it quite a bit. I wish it had caught on and that people could make it better and etc. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Kaz, tell us about the news on the website lately. How's that going? It's going well. Yep. Lots of articles, lots of things happening. It's really exciting. No, it was, it was actually a pretty it's busy going week. going well, everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's going well. You know, just 
<laughs> click on pinkbike.com and you can check it out. <laughs> but no, we did have uh, we did have the downcountry field test wrapped up. So a bunch of pretty interesting bikes. I thought I didn't get to ride any of them, but Levy, you did. And there were some pretty cool ones in there. Yeah. And it wasn't the normal crop either. We had there's that made in the USA allied. There's the RSD from not made in USA, but it's a Canadian smaller Canadian company. Um, yeah. Anything? Any big takeaways from that? Yeah, um, the big takeaway for me is that nobody knows what a downcountry bike is, which is makes it fun and interesting. Um, but it, all jokes aside, I thought it was neat to have bikes of very similar travel, but of very different intentions together. That always makes for a more interesting test. And I know it's not like apples to apples. Then, like the RSD is a very different bike than the the Lapierre. It couldn't be more different, almost. You know, but. When you can contrast them like that, it makes just for more interesting reviews. So I really liked riding all of those bikes, especially that freaking Allied, which everybody probably yeah. realized. That thing was impressive. Looks good. Yeah. Compared to the Copper bikes that you and I tested last year, was anything of that of these new bikes better than the Trek or the Rocky? Because the Trek was fantastic. The Rocky was really cool, but I, that, that Trek was just, just, just unbelievable. Yeah, and that's a Trek yeah, top I, feel for people that... Yeah, sorry, for assuming the people that know everything, like, live in my head. <laughs> yeah, the element <laughs> the of the top, top fuel, fuel, I mean, they they were closer to the... A lot of them were closer to the top fuel than the element, in my mind. Um, I don't know, not necessarily better, to be honest with you. That's... Not necessarily better, but just different. Like that Allied reminded me a lot of the the um, Epic Evo, which is a good thing. Um, but, you know, s- same kind of thing. Short travel, light, pedal fast, pedal hard, do dumb things. I just realized that Trek had, had down tube storage, which completely invalidates what I was talking about earlier on. I completely <laughs> forgot. Yeah. I get so confused yeah, also, which bikes do and which don't now. Yeah, all the new Santa Cruises do too, Henry. Like maybe oh, not the they? V10 I, that I you're working the website. on. Do we do news? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's keep going. <laughs> Listen to some news. We'll have I did, something for I, you, Henry. No, no, it, it was worth it, Henry, for the for the acronym joke. It was worth it. Okay, yes. cool. Well, that's yeah. that's what I'm here for. That, that's why they pay me the small bucks. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, moving on from down country, we got <laughs> we're all volunteers. Um, Smith and Coroid they won a patent infringement lawsuit against WaveCell. So this is a some helmet technology battle going on. This is a the lawsuit. Uh, that they won was in Germany. They've also filed a lawsuit in the U S. So basically they're saying that, um, the yeah, patent infringement and it's actually used in Burton's snow helmet. So it's not quite related to cycling at the moment, but, um, Tracker does use wave cell technology in their cycling helmets, but we reached out to bond Tracker for comment and they didn't really have anything to say and they weren't named in the lawsuit or anything like that. So, um, yeah, just companies trying to protect their interests of plastic things that are designed to protect your head. It'd be interesting to see how that one shakes out. Yeah, just kind of, yeah, one of those things. I don't, I don't have an opinion either way, but it does look similar, but also different. Like if you look at how they're made, one is made with what looks like a bunch of different plastic straws glued together, and then the other shape is wave-like. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to know like how the judge decides one's better than the other or copying the other. But, um, we also had a new brake set from a little manufacturer called Radic. They're out of New Zealand. Got some high-end brakes that. They look cool. You can get them that they work with either uh, mineral oil or dot fluid. You can choose which way, like which configuration, which is kind of neat. So, yeah. Something you don't usually do, see. I'm sure probably just some different seals in there. I was going to say, Kaz, do you, you order them and you 
you say then what fluid you'd prefer to use and then they install the seals yeah exactly yeah i don't think you can go back and forth that wouldn't yeah. at least as far as i know i think it's you kind of pick which configuration you get but uh yeah they look good it, i think they even work with the like that sram bleeding edge fitting so it should make bleeding them nice and quick um and they weren't great i mean they're expensive but they weren't as expensive as some of the other higher end brakes out there so yeah kind of neat they're called the kaha which probably means it's probably an animal or something i don't know anyone know what a kaha is Less expensive than trick stuff brakes, I guess. Yeah, less expensive than trick stuff. And you might be able to get these ones. I think trick stuffs are pretty hard to get these days from what I've heard. Yeah. um, Yeah. Along with that, we also had Orbea launched a new kind of cross-country machine, the Oise. And they've had it before, but this is a little revision of it. Um, Probably would have been a good fit in the downcountry field test, even though this is billed as their XC race bike, but it has 120 mils travel front and rear. Um, Yeah, super light. Like the... They had one, they had one high end, uh, kind of demo weight was 22 pounds, which makes it a very competitive weight for everything that was on it. That's with a dropper post and pedals, I believe. Um, so yeah, looks nice. Uses the flex tape pivot. So it's kind of update for that bike. Uh, what else do we have? This last bit of news will kind of bring us right into our discussion. The 2023 Scott genius launched. So this bike, uh, has 150 mils of travel, 160 fork and there's two different versions you can get it with a piggyback shock and i should note that all the shocks are hidden inside the frame so kind of similar design we saw on the spark and also on the bold bikes before that but they've put the shock hidden inside the frame does give it a cool futuristic look if there's shocks inside the frame and people can't see that you're an aggressive rider what's the point of having a piggyback it's true it does hide your kashima coating so no one's gonna know yeah i mean it seems hmm feels like they're taking the mickey there yeah, maybe they can make clear. Yeah. I mean, half of them if are just empty. Like you could get, Cass, yeah, you can just get like adhesive piggybacks that you just stick on shocks, make your bike mm-hmm. more capable. Kaz, you rode that thing, didn't you? What did you What did you make of it? It's gonna the review is going to be in yeah, a field test down the road, so we're not going to talk too much. But can can you tell us what you thought of it? Yeah, yeah, you rode it too briefly. Yeah, but yeah, um, yeah, I like how the bike rides. It does have some features that I wasn't as big of a fan of, which they still have their twin lock they don't actually call it twin lock for this one. I think it's called traction mode maybe. Um, but basically on your left side of the handlebar, you have a remote that puts it into that puts the rear shock into one of three settings. Um, it is nice to see that it's not connected to the fork anymore. So on this, on the bike we had, had a grip two damper in that fork, like the full, um, fully adjustable Fox fork. And the remote is only controlling the shock, which is kind of what we've been asking for in years past. Like I remember one year I used a Scott ransom as my staff ride and kind of decoupled the bike and did some weird things to try to make it, how I wanted. So they're getting closer. There's still some weird, you know, just quirks to it, I'd say. Um, but the actual ride quality was really, I was impressed. And again, we're not going to spoil it all, but, um, there was a lot about that bike. I liked and other parts, not as much and does have through the, um, through the headset cable routing and it uses special spacers and kind of a whole different thing at the front end going on. Why do you think it's taken Scott? Like how, how much do you think twin lock is worth to scott for whoever is whoever is the target market because it's taken many years of journalists complaining about it and but nothing happening i mean i'm not saying that they hang on every word but it's it's been a slow long time coming i think that it's their um like it's part of their design language so it's it's like hard hard to let go they've been designing bikes around it for ages and kaz you and i rode that genius st around with it wide open the entire time and it pedaled pretty well. And 
I I mean, yeah, I think it's I I think it's hard for them to let go of it. You know? Yeah, there's they've they've obviously put a lot of brand equity into uh, into Twinlock, um, and I think partially we should acknowledge that our views aren't necessarily their target demo either. Like I'm sure that there is a large demographic of sales teams and people at shops, etc., that love having a feature like that to show off to consumers. But I also think there's a certain element of a, you know, sunk cost fallacy. Like we've put all this equity into this thing um, that people associate with us. We can't deviate from it now. This week's episode of the Pink Bike Podcast is brought to you by Bosch eBike Systems. You've probably heard us talking about the Performance Line CX race motor from Bosch. Well, this is the new eMTB drive unit that powered the top three riders in the women's category at the 2022 EWS E Finals in Italy. The CX race motor is optimized for racing. It delivers a quick startup and provides up to 400% assistance amplifying the rider's watts by four times. Read more about the Bosch Performance Line CX race motor on pinkbike.com or at bosch-ebike.com. Now, back to the podcast. One other thing, too, we should mention, Kaz, the the lockout function on this bike is a little different. It's not actually a lockout, right? Like, it it changes yeah. the suspension rate. Is Am I correct? Well, basically it closes off an air chamber, so it makes it more progressive. So it almost acts the same as if you could on the fly install a volume spacer into your shock, which is kind of cool. Like I, I think that feature is, is unique and different. Um, I almost think they could still keep that if they really like, you know, you already have a proprietary shock on this thing just in order to have it fit in that fit inside the frame. So the air valve of the shock is at the very top of it. So that when you take off the little bottom piece of the, um, the down tube, you can actually put air into it easily. So you already have that. So I think having another little extra selling point is kind of neat, but I think the remote, they could still make it just a two pitch, two position remote, like an on off. And then you could make it more progressive, more not. I'm not really sure what the answer is there, but um, yeah, they definitely take their own path in these things. But it does as a system, having just the, the, I suppose, uh, cause I rode one of those bold Lincolns which despite you know sounding like a dating app for coked up 30 something professionals is actually a really 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 it was a really good bike you know and it had that had a remote lockout how did it hold that and it, it adjusts the compression and actually it worked really well and the fact you could have a proper um grip two damper without any compromise and it was it climbed beautifully i've got, I've got to say and it, it descended in terms of suspension performance it it descended pretty well too Kaz, you uh just to bring us back around to our headset discussion, you spent some time in the garage during field tests routing some lines through that bike's headset. So you have some very recent experience with with dealing with this. And I remember um, you went down there to do it, and I thought you were going to be down there for a couple of days, to be honest with you. And you came back up. I don't know. It feel like it, it took like twenty minutes, thirty minutes. It didn't seem like that big a deal. How was the, how was that bike to work on? I mean, it's not too bad because you have that the port on the bottom comes off. Like there's a down, a little hatch on the down tube. So with that open, you can really get your hand inside the the frame and guide things around. But I didn't have to swap out the the big argument that a lot of people say is if they ever have to swap out an upper headset bearing, you're gonna basically have to bleed your brakes afterwards for for the style of cable routing. Um, 
Yeah. So I didn't have to do that. Like normal cable around. If you're just replacing, whether it's, you know, a, a dropper post housing or anything like that, it's not working on. It's not that hard um, as far as like running it through. It's just another port. Like you just have a hole in your, um, yep. next to your stem instead of having a hole on the side of the frame. So that part mechanically wise is not that difficult. So the, the trouble comes when people need to look after their headset bearings with this particular version of headset routing is what you, what you're saying. Yeah. And I mean, with this one and some other ones, we'll get into this more, but they also use different, um, headset spacers. So it, it just, they use these big kind of plastic, they're split spacers, but it just adds more complication to, if you wanted to raise or lower your stem, it's, it's a different, just more involved process than like normally a bunch of us have, you know, regular spacers just kicking around. You can put one on top or below. So it makes it more complicated. Yeah. So a few days ago, Seb Stott wrote a burning question article about headset cable routing. Uh, that was, I mean, the, the responses we got were pretty much what we expected. And at the bottom, he put a poll in and he asked you guys what sort of cable routing you would prefer. And two of the options, well, one of them was internal through the headset. The other was was internal through the stem and the headset. That added up to about a thousand people clicking yes, that that's what they would prefer. But 15,000 people, more than 15,000 people answered the poll. So it's a pretty small minority of people that actually want their lines to run through the headset. So I guess my question for you, Brian, is it sure looks like people don't want this. So why are companies doing this? Why are so, why have so many companies started doing this? And I suspect more and more companies are going to start routing lines through the headset. Mm -hmm. What's going on? Why? So after that article went up where uh, Seb had asked all these manufacturers who are doing it, why they did it. And they had various answers from everything from like moving closer to the steering axis to making the frame stronger to being honest about it and saying it looks better in their opinion. Um, I, uh, I actually spoke to a couple of industry folks who are on, on the product side um, and it definitely, there's definitely, it, it seems like there's a battle between the, uh, sales and marketing teams who are pushing for aesthetics and then the engineering and product teams who are pushing for simplicity and the way it's always been. Um, I, yeah, I, and it, as a result of those, of those conversations, I ran a sort of a follow-up poll, which was a lot more specific people, people accuse me of trying to feed internet outrage for which I'm a hundred percent guilty. But I, uh, I did, I did think that maybe we would get a more like a bit of a surprising answer out of the poll that we would see more people, um, say they were interested in various types of internal cable routing. Um, and yeah, I mean, we did, it, it was a, it does show that there is the people who want fully external cable routing are a very vocal minority that show up in the comments, but not so much in the polls. You don't think that the people who are so against headset routing could also be a vocal minority? I mean, there's a there's a quote in Seb's article from Focus, uh, and they're saying that they did, I'm quoting them here, the market feedback from our customers and dealers shows clearly that the clean look is super important and plays a huge role when the customer is deciding on a bike. So it sounds like focus believes that's what we want, whether we know it or not. You, you are not the customer there. Yeah. There is a distributor and then a dealer. Those are the customers um, specifically. And then further, there's different ways to ask that obviously. But if you got asked, Hey, is a clean look on a bike important to you? You would say yes. 
right? Yeah. Even if you Both like sides. external cable routing, you'd still say, of course, having a clean looking bike and not a red Alp is important to me. But also I think that there's the, okay, so a potentially newcomer to the sport, their dollar is worth the exact same yes. as some hardened veteran of the sport that wants all external cable routing and they understand the kind of ideological or design, you know, d- design mm-hmm. ethos mm-hmm. behind that. But to the shop, it's not like, oh, but their dollar's worth more. No, they've got the thing and they're going to want to sell it. And that's just that's just how it goes. Well, and shops would sure love to charge to do bleed a brake to install a new brake, of course. Hmm. That's that's an argument that I have with this too, is that I mean, we're riding some we're riding some really expensive, fancy specialized devices here, toys, fancy toys. And I just I sort of think that it's okay that you know, sometimes working on them, I, I always want it to be easier, but I mean, these are advanced things and I think it's okay maybe sometimes that the repair job isn't super easy. And I, now triathlon and time trial bikes are not a good example. Like I don't want to ride one. I don't think any of us really want to ride one of those bikes, but that's an example of it's a tool. It's made for a very specific job. They're trying to get the cables out of the way for aero reasons, whether you think that's worth it or not. And in their minds, it's worth the routing trouble, the mechanical trouble to do that. And I don't know, I think like, you know, some of these mountain bikes are fancy. I don't think it's a big issue that they're harder to work on maybe. But I think my issue is that there's no point. Obviously we talked about the aesthetics or whatever, but I mean, cleanly done regular internal routing that goes ahead to, I don't think it looks much better than the other one. And this one is opening up. We haven't talked about the issues. Like you're, you're putting a hole in your, basically in your headset where water can go down and more easily get into that top and lower bearing. So potentially increased wear on bearings that don't need to have the elements, you know, to be exposed to elements in that way. And again, just the hassle of maintenance, whether it's a small issue or not, it's still harder than the other way for no, I don't see any benefit. Okay, so if you look at your computer in front of you, do you have all the wires going absolutely haywire or have you worked out a way to get them down the back of the desk neatly? Can Most I... people would have gone, well, I'm going to put this up once, maybe move my computer once a year. It's worth it being neat. Levy, you're exempt. Okay, but... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not saying that it's not more complicated. I'm not saying that it's not harder to work on. But sitting on a pallet in the living room isn't as comfortable as sitting on a sofa. A sofa is more complicated, but that's just, there. you know, if we look at I mean, a car, a car, I think is a good example. All cars, the interiors are basically the same. It's a couple of seats, a steering wheel and a gear stick and some pedals. There's a large difference in luxury, like luxury and feel with a nice car compared to a cheap car and how you view, how much worth you, you consider the car to have because of the experience of driving it. Purely from the interior. When you look at expensive car interior, you're like, that's definitely better. Honestly, it's going to sound very superficial, but I think aesthetics are important. And when you get on a bike where everything is super neat and tidy, it's just a more pleasurable experience. And it might not matter to you, but it will matter to some. And I'm one of those people. I agree that aesthetics are very important. One thing that surprised me about that sort of follow-up poll I ran is that I asked a question about regardless of performance, what kind of cable routing do you think looks best and um of of 12,000 people only 1,000 said all external looks best only 3,500 people said uh fully internal from the headset and stem looks best and the vast majority 7,500 people 
said that internal through the frame, like the way that most bikes are today, is what looks best to them aesthetically, which was really interesting. I think that's just what we're used to, though. And everybody knows how it how it works. It's easy to use. People are used to tube and tube routing. And the I, question was I external. Also... Uh, it was like regardless of performance, though, right? Yeah. So it's just what what looks the best to them. Yeah, I also think that this is a this is a process. Like right now, some of these bikes. I have a bike, I have a BMC behind me and the the lines go through the stem and through the headset and it is a pain in the ass to work on. Um, But just like how many internally routed bikes were absolute trash to work on a few years ago and they've gotten better over the years, I think it's a process and I think it's maybe worth staying with and it, it will get better. And the other point I want to make is, I mean, we've all had test bikes recently, like within this year that have terrible, terrible routing that if we had to install a new dropper post line, we would have had to pull the cranks out. How is that any worse or any better than all this headset routing that people are complaining about? No, it's unacceptable. That's terrible. And that exists out there right now. And the large majority of people seem to be just fine with it as long as they have a dropper post. Um, That's just how they get one on their bike. And that's the case with headset routing, but it will get better. But I think Kaz hit the nail on the head, though. I think doing a job once and doing it well is one thing. And I think we've all gone through that. You know, you get a bike that's new and the cables like Spaghetti Monster, you know, you tighten them up and then they get better. And, you know, I think especially, and obviously this is something specific, well, not relating to North American riders, but it does depend if the frame has functionality to have your right hand brake as your front that, that makes a big difference because if you can get it all parallel lines and all neat it's it's not too bad but there is a large large difference between having a in like a internal internally rooted headset made up of good parts which are metal which are going to last that's well sealed compared to chucking in all the stuff with weird plastic grommets in there with you know so many bits that are just i mean you know proprietary headset spaces is, is something that's going to frustrate people as well and to band them all together you know there are going to be good executions and they're also going to be really bad ones and and sealing from the elements is obviously huge because you know it gets you on the way in and the way out because not only is it harder to work on your headset but also it's going to need more work on because it's worse sealed you know yeah i did i did ask a question in that follow-up poll about if you have a bike with through the headset cable routing how reliable has it been and a bunch of people answered without saying that they didn't have one, obviously, because they just wanted to see the results. But um, roughly 900 people, oh, no, 1,000 people answered that they did have one. And of those 1,000, more, uh, like just over 500 of them have had either durability, like bearing durability or other issues with their, through the headset, which is not a good uh, failure rate. I am honestly super surprised with that number. And part of me believes that people just want to click no. Yeah, maybe. Like, you know, because I, I no, think there, were, the there have been I issues. Know, but Kaz, Kaz, out of your people that you ride bikes with, how many, how many mm-hmm. times are they having to take with their headset apart? Like headsets creak. Don't get me wrong. Of course, headsets creak. No, no. We're talking but, about like the upper bearing getting contaminated, like yep. the upper bearing getting contaminated or the lower one. Cause it like, especially on some of the ones that have like a really wide head tube where the, the ports that their mm-hmm. cables are going into are just like, if it rains or gets wet, it's just dropping right in there. And there aren't a ton of bikes with that right now, 
but in the last two years we've seen a, a good number of yeah companies use this style and those bearings do get bad really quickly and that person's going to remember them going bad because they had to bleed their brake when they had to replace them <laughs> yeah that is fair actually i guess if there's a big hole why do you have to bleed your brake i don't understand that bit well, because you have to disconnect the brake line. I know, obviously, sometimes you can disconnect a brake line and not need to re-bleed it, but in lots of times you do, like depending. Mm -hmm. So, oh, I see. Because so for the for the ones I've used, it's actually I've never had one that actually goes through the headset bearing itself. I've only had ones that have gone in and no, out. Most of these do, yeah. Like Scott and the um, like the transition repeater goes through it. Uh, pretty much anyone that's using this new style, where you have the two ports at the top and then there's like the two little holes it's going through that upper headset bearing and that's the big point of contention i think because you're you, that's what you're getting that's the most annoying bit now and i know that like replacing the headset bearing is not that common most people don't have to do it very often but when you do go need to do that you're going to be angry at least i would be mm. so i've got i mean almost two years on this bike here with lines that go through the headset bearing via the stem and then through the headset and uh, the headset did start creaking one time and the bearing felt pretty rough and I cheated. Um, I sort of loosened everything and lifted it apart as far as I could. And then I just used an X-Acto knife to just pry the bearing seal off and I re-lubed it on the bike and cleaned everything up and re-greased the outside of the bearing and put it back together and it, it solved the problem. Um, in a, yeah, in a perfect world, I would have pulled it apart and put a brand new bearing in there and all that, but yeah, not, it's, you're right. It's, it's not easy, but I want to turn the conversation a little bit towards some of the pros of this design. I want to, I want to try to convince you guys that there's some promise here. And I think that we should, I think it's worthwhile sticking with this if it's done right. Um, so Kaz, obviously we talked about the biggest pro the, <laughs> with bated breath. The biggest pro, I'm just going to admit, I love the way it looks. And Henry nailed it. Like, I, it's important to me that my bike looks good. I want it to look good. I want to like how it looks. Like, just how, like, you park your car and you walk away from it, you turn around and you're like, damn. Like, you know, people that like cars and have a nice car, they, they, that's a good feeling. <laughs> have you seen what I drive? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But it might not be a car, but I'm just using that as an example. And when I park up this yeah, bike... Yeah, Leafy, your car's constantly parked up because your mini's <laughs> on bricks, isn't it? And you can look at it all the time. Mini's upside down in a ditch. <laughs> but my, my point is, I, the bike looking good is a factor. And it, it does stoke me out. It makes me want to ride the bike. Um the other thing <laughs> it's so funny that like what? the idea that if your cables are in like a three inch different spot would make you more excited to ride a bike than not. oh it's like, way bigger than the new no, yeti that came not... out today no like yes. look at the yeti that came out today they did the cable routing really well you look at it it's clean and if those went a different place i wouldn't be like oh, i can't ride that bike it's ugly like no, that's no, no, a really no. funny no. thing to say you're put <laughs> you're putting words in my mouth that's not true but if you have two bikes and they're they they both look great they're both like eight out of ten in whatever you know you like them and one has normal cable routing and one, the headset routing is done really well and the lines are invisible. That bike looks better. You're going normal. Plain and simple. No, it doesn't. How does it look better? It's like the same. It's like it goes one way and versus the other way. They look like not that different. Because you don't have loops of cables housing everywhere. It, it looks better, Kaz. Looks, That's like I objective. Think... Better. No, I don't think so. It doesn't really do anything for me. But it certainly looks <laughs> nicer. Well, I agree with Levy personally that I, that it does look better to me, but that's that's why I brought up that poll. Like, I think a lot of people agree with Kaz too that 
the traditional into the into the down tube style internal cable routing looks great. So I I guess what I'm asking you to do, Kaz, is separate just just for this particular argument, this second here, just separate the functionality from the looks. If there's no cables, the bike looks better. Period. I'm not asking you if it's worth it or not. I'm just saying the bike looks better. It looks cleaner. Well, yeah, you could just go wireless with half of your stuff, and then you, your brakes are what you have to deal yeah. with. That's what's left. Like you put your wireless everything, but the new brakes that are coming out, like this, isn't spoiling anything. There's pictures around. You can search them out. There are new brakes in the works that have the line that goes closer to the handlebar, and that's yeah. just going to solve it. And it looks, it'll give you, it'll address your clean issues without needing to go. So you're saying exit. it looks better. That looks better. That's because of the brakes, not because of the routing. <laughs> Mike, I think you also need to acknowledge that. You know, it's kind of funny talking about like aesthetic perfection when you're going to get some, yeah. you know, boot cut khaki wearing mountain bike with a gravy stained Alice in Chains t-shirt being like, hmm, the aesthetics of my bike, you know, like, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> like fair. it doesn't matter in any other part of their life, which is fair enough. Like, like it's funny because I don't really give a shit about what I wear and, and how I look, you know, and I'll fucking, but I do care about my mountain bike. However, there are some people where it's vice versa and they honestly don't give a shit and more power to them. Like, you know, if that's, yep. that's where the priorities are. I do like yeah. Alice in Chains. Oh, me too. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was a term of affection. I, I, I like yeah. boot khaki pants too. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about, what about this Cass? What if you could make the frame lighter and it's a small amount. I know it is, but so Scott, this is clamped numbers here. Scott says they save 60 grams doing this. And that's a, I know for the large majority of people, that number doesn't matter. Who cares? But when the frame only weighs 900 grams, it's like a super light XC frame. That number does matter to a lot of people. Yeah. And I can see it. Like I, I can, like that point is a valid one for the XC world. And like, personally, I don't really ride a ton of XC race bikes. So I think it's, if it stays there, stays kind of in the road XC realm, that's fine. But I just don't want to go into like the the more mainstream trail bikes and enduro bikes and downhill bikes. Cause that's what a lot of, I don't know. That's what I spend time riding. So I'm going to be selfish and just try to keep it from spreading that way. But 60 grams is a lot. I think that that's it. Yeah. 60 grams is a lot to take out of a frame. Um, so I think that's a good argument, but I think it would be a lot more powerful if it was from like, I think it's a challenging argument when you're making it with that genius, which has, a ton of other design considerations that are not light. Like putting that shock in the frame does not make the frame lighter. There, you know, I think it's cool. I, I'm it's a not pretty crazy light bike. Anti doing that, I think it's very. That cool. bike's actually like really yeah. light, so mm-hmm. they yeah, sure could make it lighter. Right, but it could definitely be. They could make it lighter if they had a more traditional layout. So I just think that that's a challenging argument to make on that particular bike. Um, the other one that was surprising was I thought a few people said that. They thought people might be just doing this for um, cost savings, so I asked. Um, it's not. It's not dramatically cheaper to make a bike without um, without hmm. cable routing, and because you have to spend more on the headset too. Like the the total bill of materials cost is not really any different from the the few people I spoke to. I would have thought it would be less because the frame, like, yeah, I'm sure the headset costs more, but the frame is simpler to manufacture. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's a little tiny bit simpler, but it's not a huge difference. Um, even versus tube and tube. So what, what I'm told is like, yeah, you might save a tiny bit on that, but then you have to, you have to spend more on your headset 
But then, but then if they spend more on the headset, then they're going to put cheap I mean, headsets in and then they just, you're running into the whole issue because like they're trying to save money, obviously. So, yeah, yeah. That could be why. Yeah. I guess I just thought it would be maybe a big cost mm-hmm. savings and the people I spoke to, I could be wrong or they could be lying, mm-hmm. but cause they were both people who are anti, anti doing this, but yeah, both people suggested not a huge difference. Kaz, what would need to change with headset cable routing for you to want to use it? on your personal bike just don't make it go through that upper headset variant and let me keep using round uh headset spacers so not through the headset <laughs> i'll join you on the on the no on the no weird shaped spacers mm-hmm. train yeah I'll t- it's I'll, very I'll silly join you on that on that uh yeah. island yeah just don't make it go through the upper headset variant somehow i don't know how you do that <laughs> we can just run them all through the steer tube and there can be a hole in the steer tube now and then just slice your brake lever or slice your brake line as soon as you turn more than 90 degrees. It's perfect. Um, no, but I think a few people also mentioned the the steering axis, like having the cables enter closer to the steering axis. And I didn't, I hadn't thought about that before, but that's a that's an interesting argument for me. What do you guys? Does that hold water for either of you? I think for me, you know that. For instance, the idea of having a cover on the down tube, which a lot of people say this is the solution. But the amount of slack that you get from the cables going so low, it means that you do tend to get loads of cable rub on the crown or, or you know, it just bumbling around. And so, yeah, I think the shorter the port is, well, sorry, the closer the port is to the lever, basically, and the closer it is to the axis, absolutely, it's, it makes it look way better. And that's often why downhill bikes look so good with their cable routing, is because the, the fork stops it, limits the rotation of the fork, so then suddenly it doesn't have to be so long and the cables can look so clean. Mm-hmm. Another upside is um, a, a pink, pink bike commenter actually made this comment. I hadn't thought of this, but people who run their brakes on the wrong side, like you, Henry, it's doesn't really make a yeah, difference. No, it's great. You know, yeah. you some bikes you end up with a terrible loop when you do that, but this is perfect because it's right the, at the, the steering the axis. The frustration with running your brakes on the wrong side, whatever you want to call it, is that it basically it separates your shifter from your rear brakes then you've got two things crossing and suddenly that's the issue because i think when you have it on the same side you can basically tape them or zip tie them together or heat wrap them and so it looks like you've got two cables it's really hard to get away with internally rooted cables that use a guide from having just it is looking crap basically so kaz for you you want less or no proprietary parts basically when it comes to headset cable routing yeah, exactly. It's just, I just don't understand why you need to make it complicated because it should be really simple. You're just clamping something onto a tube. I want to be able to undo it, adjust my height, make it all set up without needing to go to the store and get some really silly plastic spacer. And yeah, I just want it to be easy. Like these, that's a nice thing about bikes. They're pretty simple, even though they're getting more complicated with the electronics and stuff. But the overall, like setting up your cockpit, that shouldn't require any special skills. Yeah. You're okay with it requiring more work though. And it being not as easy to work on? No. In what regard, what would be harder? I'm. Mean, we talked about having to bleed your brakes and stuff like that. Like, is that a price A price you're willing to pay to have your lines go through your bearing? Oh, no. No, I'm not willing to accept that at all. No, I no, don't okay. want them to go through that headset bearing. Like, I don't want to have to bleed my brakes for any other reason except to bleed my brakes. Like, there's no yeah, reason. You, that, wouldn't want, okay. you wouldn't want your e-bike to be difficult to work on, hey, Kaz? I wouldn't. No, <laughs> I, I, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can, I mean, I don't care. Like, yeah, like that's the thing with some e-bikes and Brian knows too. He's dealt with, there's like that issue of them. They are complicated to work on, but why make them even harder? Like for your, your average consumer. Yeah, that, that's the point, Brian. You know, 
your idea of a good time, Brian, is ignoring your young child and your, you know, your partner and sitting in your garage alone on a cold December night at minus five degrees, printing 3D parts that may or may not fit your pump. What? what? And now you're saying that there's potentially too much work and, you know, you're making work for yourself. <laughs> sorry, sorry for me? Yeah. I, I don't think I've really taken a position on... Well, you haven't, but all. it's it's fun just to be a bit toxic sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. Um, See, Brian can print I headset mean, spacers. I'm, That's why he doesn't care. He can just make them any shape he wants. So he's yeah, got an advantage. Any shape. <laughs> Maybe I just need a three D printer. <laughs> and I won't shape. complain. Oh, yeah. can you can you print a bearing? Is that how it works? You can print it like into the bike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> you just hold your bike underneath the machine and it drops in new bearings and prints them. Then you're not Guys, to wait a minute. Your if we move away from seal bearings and we just go back to you know, individual yes. balls, cup and cone. Sorted. Cup yeah. and cone. Yeah. That's what you, this fits That's us so well because we're talking about what old technology would we still have? Cup and cone bearings and internal headsets. Done. One and done. <laughs> the future is bright. <laughs> Henry. Who who would you say is doing internal routing of any kind well? What what company oh. are you stoked with when it comes to cable routing? <laughs> Headset or not? However um, they're doing it. Like I said, that okay, for me, I you know, I don't like I like for instance Rocky, Yeti, etc., because they have you can have your cables on either side that they're not they haven't got um internal guides and also you know i've heard a i think it's we are one made the argument and it makes total sense to me that all this talk about trying to get certain ride qualities out of carbon and i want you to imagine that you have like a sheet of metal if you put a crease in that sheet of metal it's suddenly going to make it a bit stiffer and if you attach a sleeve in the carbon the ridge running down the down tube is also going to affect the stiffness properties which i'm sure they factor in but i like it completely honestly i'll just fill the frame with you know some you know a bit of a hay bale or something like that to quieten down the cables and it's all good. Expanding foam works good. Yeah, expanding foam. Or you could, honestly, you could just put a cable tie on it and have the tail, you know, wrap around. There are so many ways. It doesn't have to be noisy. And you can have your cable routing any which way you want. It looks amazing. Super easy to work on. And honestly, like, I mean, I did that, those little bullshit articles I do about things that didn't happen. I do poke a bit of fun. But I think a lot of the time, people really want you to know that they are well-informed and educated enough to have a really solid opinion on internally rooted cables and it's just like we get it you work on your own bike like well done bud like you know fucking pat on the back but like you you don't need to just shout about it like it's gonna change your world like because it's not that difficult i understand if you don't have a work standard is but i mean come off it it's not that hard Uh, well i will agree with you that if i agree with you that if you are okay with bleeding your brake um when you have bleeding the brake is different i i think that's bullshit but the bikes that I've worked on haven't gone through the so, bearing. So no, I mean you have to bleed your brake if you're going to run an internal cable like through well, in the front do, triangle in any sort. Do, what, yeah. I, what I'm trying to say is like if once you've accepted internal cable routing, for me personally, I don't think it's like a huge leap to go through the stem. No, personally, but I, I think, think it's a with, huge with the brake bleeding thing. Like if we take on this assumption that you buy a new brake, they need to fit to your bike, even if it's fully external, you're going to have to trim the hose anyway. So I think installing a new brake, whichever way it goes, you're going to have to bleed it. I think to change a headset bearing, you shouldn't have to bleed your brake, in my opinion. I think that that is kind of a bit a bit of a cop-out. Yeah, and I'd say, like, for me, for the 
the current internal routing style that doesn't go through the headset like santa cruz and specialized they've got it pretty well figured out like you know swapping brakes on there it is nice when you run a line and it just goes all the way through and pops out where it's supposed to go like it's pretty satisfying like oh yeah someone thought of this and it actually worked so i like the tube and tube routing less rattling that's the best thing about running the axs i've got a bike check coming up so you will see pictures of it and it's all its glory slash horror but on my (laughs) spire because i've got axs drivetrain which is it works really really well and it means that i can run my rear brakes convert through the internal that's what's so good about it i can run my brake internal Mm -hmm. it's great but then i have to just do a bit of weird stuff out the back but works a charm brian who do you like for cable routing these days you have a raw do they do it well yeah, I have a RAW and it does it really well uh, externally, except for one thing, which is that it um, it has around the the main pivot, it routes the cable quite a ways away from the main pivot. So as it goes through its travel, it pulls quite a bit of cable. So I made a thing to have a different guide to have it go through the main pivot, but that made a huge difference. Like that was super annoying. Um, in terms of in internally, I'm working on a bike build right now that will be internal um but i really liked i think we should shout out the there are a couple of brands that do those like tunnels like it's external with a cover that somebody just made gorilla gravity but gorilla gravity gt did it um canyon used to do it but i think they do like a tube in tube but it's with like foam instead of like a, a a real one now so i think i think they're going away from that tunnel thing but i quite liked the the tunnel with a cover. I think that that's a clean solution for a lot of folks. Yeah. How come none of you brought up the Focus Spaghetti Monster stem? It's, I'm disappointed. I, <laughs> it's such a faces and places. I like the name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks great. <laughs> yeah, for me though, uh, Trek and Specialist. Um, Specialized did it first. Trek followed up. You push the freaking line in at the head tube and it pops out at the rear brake caliper and that's exactly what i want to do and i cannot understand any arguments against that to be honest that transition from the front triangle to the rear triangle where you could just like you just push it through and it just pops out like it goes right through the chain stays and everything that's amazing yeah it's nice right cool we solved it world peace is achieved that's it we're done everybody (laughs) (laughs) i win it was a lot more cordial than i was expecting I think brands definitely have an easier go of it now that we don't have front derailleurs. And we're even seeing companies like high-end companies like Uno and some others doing Axis-specific oh, bikes, yeah, that's which spicy, is pretty that. interesting. Mm. I That's committed. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, this is like yeah, this is like the epitome of bike nerd debate, which is funny, but I also wish that all these people that are getting so mad and like commenting so much, they should just go ride their bikes, please. Like... I know it's dark and stuff, but like people are spending a lot of time going crazy over this stuff. And like, we'll try to fight the fight. I will at least, but don't, I don't know. The people that are, they might be wasting too much of their life commenting. I'm worried about them. They should go ride. See, Kaz, my fight, my fight isn't to end headset cable routing like yours sounds like. My fight is just to make cable routing good, period. And if it happens to go through the headset as part of that journey, and maybe it sucks for now, but like a couple years from now, it's amazing and we could just all the lines go through and we for whatever reason there's magic bearings we don't have to like pull our brake lines and like and it's reliable no water's getting in 
I think it could be really good. So that's well, why do we have to be sort the, of my stance. But why do we have to be the guinea pigs? Like, why does consumer have to be the one that suffers? Why don't they just figure out how to make it good and release yeah. it? Like, just wait two years yeah, before no, you put I, out your stuff. I mean, stuff. yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. But I, I would also say that's just not the way, unfortunately, that's not the way that this industry or any industry works. As much as we would like to pretend, um, things come out and they get better as the companies get feedback over time and pre- materials and manufacturing improve and all that kind of stuff and for a while i think we'll just have to suck it up and if you don't like it don't buy one of those bikes am i being too harsh i don't know No, i I was gonna say i think the best thing will be for people to vote with their wallets Um, but i do think we can also all agree that if that 50 ish percent failure rate on through the headset bearing headsets is accurate I, i agree with you maybe it's not quite accurate but if it's anywhere near that high that's unacceptable, and brands need to figure out better ways to do that on, before they use before they use a system like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would agree with you, and just like you said, like we should really underline underline here that if you guys don't like these bikes with headset routing, definitely freaking don't don't buy the bike. You know, like you guys remember when ever, all these companies redesigned their suspension designs to fit bottles in front triangles. Like, if you don't like it, we have the power to affect change, is my point, yeah. you know? So, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, on that point, the new Yeti just came out today, threaded bottom bracket. Remember, that was the thing? Like, that used to be the battle. Like, the threaded bottom brackets were going 